The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. I was just going to say that over the past few months, we've all discovered our superpower, and today we came together as a super league just to, to save Ann Arbor. Save the whole Ann Arbor. Saved all of it. How did we use, How did we incorporate our superpowers into this mission, though? Well, I... I fished around in my pocket from my phone, and I couldn't even see it. And you found it. And I found it. Mm-hmm. I was scared, but I remembered the warm embrace of a punch key, mm-hmm. and it comforted me and gave me the courage that I needed to move on. I don't remember what my superpower what's your, was. What's your superpower, Nick? What's your superpower is that you remember every single poop you've ever taken. Oh, <laughs> that's right. right. Oh, that's right. right. Yes. That's right. Wait, so how did you guys save all of Ann Arbor with these powers? Um, there was like a pretty huge, like medium to huge branch that like smashed into a car and we called the police and the fire department. And th- but more importantly, there were down lines. There were down lines. Welcome to issue 131 of Super Skull, your weekly new comic day audio digest. For the week, this week of March 8th, 2017, my name is Nick Wybar. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen. I'm here with uh, two of just two stand-up guys, two of my favorite people in the whole world, Marcus Schwimmer. That's me. And Curtis Sullivan. I am also here with you dudes, and I'd like to say I just thought of, have we called you Slim Schwim before? I'm not that slim of a dude, so I, I don't think it's ever popped in anyone's head. Okay, I was just thinking, slim swim. Slim kind of a swim mouthful. does not roll off the tongue super great. Slim shit. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Swim Sh- slim. Swim slim. I'm gonna... All right, we'll table this. Do you want me to use that for the entire episode and we'll just see how it works? You're the host. It's up to you. You're the, you're the leader of this... Uh... We'll see how it. We'll see how the day unfolds Alrighty. a little bit, uh, gentlemen. It's another. It's another episode of Super Skull. I'm very pleased to be here with both of you. It's another glorious day in the core. Every meal a feast. Every walk a parade. I knew you were going to say. I knew you were going to say that. I just knew that you were going to say how, that. How come? Because we worked together for like forty years. Yeah, that's a that's a Curtis standby. I that love reference it. To it's Full Metal Jacket. No, aliens. Aliens. Oh, okay. That's Excuse all right. Me. All, well, all I'm doing right now is biding my time and making long pauses, waiting for Curtis to do the thing that he's supposed to do in the opening. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so how are you two goons doing with your no coffee thing that you were doing? I've had an interesting journey, Curtis. Thank you for asking. Uh, Happy to bring it up. Yeah, I, I was off coffee, and then we finished. Nick and I finished our 30-day challenge. Okay. When you say that you were off coffee, or are we counting the betrayal? I had one minor betrayal. We did that. That went to court, Curtis, yeah. and it was. It Judge was, Curtis ruled that it was a minor. It was betrayal. a minor betrayal. Yep. Yeah. So I, I had one minor betrayal, but other than that, you know, did did pretty good. Got off coffee. Thirty days came up. Was like, great. I'm gonna have one cup of coffee a day. Mm-hmm. Had one cup of coffee and was like, I don't like how this makes me feel at all. Back off coffee. You got a taste of sweet, sweet freedom. And now you're just staying off coffee. I'm just done. I have and no... I just can't even tell you how much that pisses me off. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have that no That pisses urge. me off so much. Nick, tell me about your journey back to your addiction. Oh my God. 
with the day that I started drinking coffee again, the entire world seemed bright and full of possibility. Everything <laughs> seemed possible. Everything seemed glorious. I, there's nothing I could not do or accomplish wow. once I started drinking you, you coffee again. <laughs> my, took... my takeaway was coffee is amazing. I love, I fucking love it. And all the time, please, thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for taking me back into your warm embrace. How many cups of coffee are you drinking right now? A little bit, a little bit less than I was. That was my big takeaway from the coffee adventure. Was you're an addict. I was gonna say that is that you're a full yeah, blown yeah, that's addict. That's the addict speaking. Right I now. have since learned also about caffeine withdrawal and how fucking dangerous caffeine withdrawal could be. <laughs> oh really? And that is that shit is for real. There was a week, and we have it because in the midst of that, we recorded a podcast, and you can hear in my voice the years coming off of my life. I was so fucking miserable for like a week there. Yeah, you I just remember uh, during. You sounded pretty uh, intense. Yeah. During this whole ordeal, Nick was like, "All right, we're gonna get off coffee, and then when we get back, I'm gonna go to like one cup a day. I'm gonna like, I'm just gonna have my morning cup. I'm gonna do my little ritual. I'm it's a morning treat. Yeah, Nick, uh, you, how's your one cup of coffee a day? How's your morning treat? Hey, it's get it's a lot better than it was. I'm gonna I'm on like two cups of coffee a day. Okay. Two to three cups of to coffee four a, cup day. How many, a day. How, how many have you had today? And this is my last one. I got one right now. Is that your third or your Because second? I need this to put up with the yeah. fucking both of you. You need it. And just... then, I, and then <laughs> that's it. And then I'm done for the day. Just answer my question. Three or two for today. Is that number three or this two? This is number two. Okay. And this is my. This is the last cup of coffee of the day. Okay. okay. Well, Nick, uh, you know, you can do it, buddy. And we're here for you. If you ever want to admit first that you have a problem, that's the beginning of I recovery. I have a problem, and I love my problem. <laughs> this is where I'm at right now. I, I love my problem. Yeah, it says every meth addict ever. Like, oh, I love this shit. I'm embracing it. Do I, I have need, no choice. Do I need teeth? No. Do I need this meth? Yeah. All I can say is the fact that the both of you are just- Judging the shit out of you right now? platonic- On our high horse. Ubermen, and hey, you're just, I don't need coffee. No, thank you. Fuck you, fuck you, and I sh- fuck you. I showed up to Nick's one morning to play a board game, and he was uh-huh. like, you want a cup of coffee? I was like, no, I have a glass of water. And he looked at me, he was like, what are you, a monk? No, man, I just want a glass of water. No, that's the thing. He needs somebody to sink down to his I coffee don't. level <laughs> with him. The both of you make me completely sick, and let's do some And I hate news. you in the news. We actually don't have very much for some in the news. What? We just got a couple of things. Okay. We are still running our... Uh, uh, charity fundraiser for Bitch Planet. Every single copy of Bitch Planet that is purchased at any Vault of Midnight for the entire month of March, which is Women's History Month, uh, all of the profits from those sales will be donated to Planned Parenthood. Yes. So, um, I don't know if you've been listening to the news lately, but it is more important. But before before we started this fundraiser, it's become even more important now, like a week into it. So, uh, please. Buy Bitch Planet. If you've already read it, buy it for somebody else. Let's do this. Let's Get, make a let's make a make a big old donation to Planned Parenthood. Help us do it. It's going really, really well so far, but it's got we gotta do more. We sold a billion, but we've got piles in the store. Buy them for your friends, buy them for your loved ones. Buy a second copy to keep mint in package and frame on the wall. And read it again if you haven't read it, and give it to somebody and make them read it. Also, that's an important part of the process. But more important than that, we're not keeping any of the money that we sell from these. It's all going to Planned Parenthood. So, thank you. Be aware. Thank you. And speaking of Women's History Month. Furthermore. Next week, uh, we are, Super Skull is going to be completely taken over by um, a bunch of kick-ass ladies that work at Vault of Midnight. So, we're going to be taking the week off. Finally. Finally. And who are we going to have? Rachel Polk. Hi. Rachel Polk's going to host next week's podcast. Oh, shit. 
Um, yes, I am. Um, I'm also going to be joined by some other people who have been on the podcast lately. Um, Amanda Aquino from our Detroit store. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Tucker, who is from our Grand Rapids store. And someone who has never been on the podcast before, uh, Claire Herding. She's uh, from the Ann Arbor shop as well. So it's going to be the four of you dudes. Oh, yeah. Call us dudes again and I'll punch you. Lady fair, dudes. Fair enough. Yes. It's going to be the Super Skull Lady cast. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be great. Are we really calling it the Lady Cast? I don't know. I just pretty not, good. I'm not very good. creative, so. Um, but do, what do you think? I'm just throwing this out there. What do you think about broadcast? I love it. Do we love it? It's like you lean into it, or you know, we're recording this on on Wednesday mm-hmm. right now. It is currently Wednesday, March eighth, two thousand seventeen. Yes, it is also the Women's Strike Day. I think I might just leave. <laughs> okay. That is a very fair point. I withdraw my suggestion for the name of that podcast. Lady Good. Cast sounds cool. Or really, whatever you guys want to call whatever it. You we want will it to decide be. at a later time. What are we going to do? Are we going to go like work on cars and drink cheap beer? We're going to go sit and think about how important the women in our life are. Oh, that's a much, right. much better idea. Yeah, we're going to, the, the time that we would have spent recording this podcast, we're just going to sit in quiet contemplation in about how lucky we are. Reflection. Uh, and to that note, today is March 8th. Please send your questions to this kick-ass bunch of ladies. Yeah. What I would really love is for um, our excellent listeners to send us questions that they can answer about that you wouldn't maybe normally send to us. What do you think, Rachel? I would love to answer questions, um, mostly because all of us work at comic stores. We all work for Vault of Midnight in various locations. Um, We deal with a lot of very, very strange people. And a lot of very, very strange questions. So if there's something that you have wanted to ask your local comic shop lady but never have gotten to, uh, this is totally the time. Uh, We're also probably going to be talking about some some lady creators in the comics industry. So if there's anybody you've been particularly wondering about or if you want to get our opinions on certain titles or on certain creators... Totally let us know. We will absolutely love to talk about it. I'm so excited to hear this episode. So please, to superskull at vaultofmidnight.com, send your, if you have any thoughts about things you'd like to hear them talk about, or if you have any uh, questions, superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. What do you guys think? Should we do some big picks? Oh, please. Let's I, do I'm it. dying to do big picks. Every week, Marcus says any number of sexist, horrible things that that get that we have to explain away or edit out. Do you remember when we first started the podcast and I felt like we were always apologizing for you? Says the dude who just recommended the name Broadcast. Look, I that was tongue firmly in cheek. Yeah. That was out of oh, love. Yeah, no, Marcus has a very, very good point. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it feels I got nothing. so good. But do you remember those days? Those early days of the podcast? I, I was new. And I was a different human, and I've changed and developed and grown. You really, really hashtag have. journey to thirty. Yeah, and I'd like to think that <laughs> I'd like to think that we all have. Sure. Well, some of us have. Curtis and I have definitely grown. Yeah, in oh, really great, thank you, in thank wonderful you. ways. Yeah. I know. And some of us were just already there. Yeah, and, and we didn't, and we just kind of nailed it That's right from exactly. the get go. But from uh, on any given week, um, you know, any you know, one of us might say any number of things that were were thoughtless and stupid, um, but. Only some of them get missed by Rachel and make it onto the podcast <laughs> and get us yelled at. And you can think of those as our big picks this week for some reason. Oh, good. Curtis. Yes? I'd like to hear your big pick. I've got a, a curveball big pick this week, you dudes. A book that I 
I probably I I wouldn't have guessed was my big pick. I know I knew very little about it uh, going into it. I do I didn't realize this was coming out. It was not on my radar at all. So here's the thing, right? We talked about this a little bit. I'll bore you with a little retailer stuff. We talked about how some publishers are doing some kind of uh, order some more of these books, hit certain levels, and we'll give you some returnability. <laughs> I know, I know. Take a chance on our books, and, and, and we'll share the risk with you, and you can try to connect with readers by having them in your store. And that's what we did, and this is one of those books. <laughs> Oni Press uh, has got this new book called Redline. It's by a dude named Neil Holman, who we discovered is the executive producer slash writer on a show called Archer which is a very hilarious cartoon mm-hmm. about, like, what? I guess he's, like, a, a James Bond kind of a shithead spy dude. Yeah. Uh, it's very sexy and violent and... Not sexy, that's not the right word, but... There's lots of innuendo. Lots of innuendo. Um, and uh, so this dude is writing this book. A guy named Clayton uh, uh, McCormick is doing the art. It's nice art. I wasn't familiar with either of these dudes until I read this comic. And it's uh, about... Occupied Mars, and maybe some private military dudes who do all kinds of mundane jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening of this book finds these guys escorting a uh, garbage truck who's cleaning up uh, waste in a war-torn kind of a city on Mars. And uh, there's a dead body in the back of the garbage truck. <gasps> now, these guys are... this is So you, when you say Occupied Mars, this is kind of akin to a war zone in some ways. Yeah, so it feels like maybe humans have been on Mars for a while. So they drop you in in this book and you don't know a lot, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. You don't need to know everything. You know you're on Mars. It looks like there's a war zone. It looks like humans have been on Mars for a while. They're in a war-torn city that looks at like at one point it was a big old awesome fully developed city with, you know, streets and every other thing. And now it's a, you know, a shit show. It's mm-hmm. destroyed rubble. So you, you can imply a lot, which is really cool. That's, I love a comic that does it, that kind of implies a lot without really telling you shit. And you, can, you know what you're seeing and looking at without having exposition or too many words. Um, and this just follows a group of private military dudes uh, finding a body. Uh, an explosion happens, chaos on the battlefield. Uh, uh, the person who's funding these private military dudes wants certain results. And uh, that's basically what we know starting off. I will say, and I think Marcus and Nick both will back me up, uh, the military bro talk uh, in this comic was super fun and crazy funny. It was really funny. And uh, it's a, it's like gallows humor and kind of tough to pull off. And it, I, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, yeah. I have grown up around military folks my whole life. And uh, it's pretty accurate. In what way did you find it to be accurate? What struck you as accurate? It's There's a level of communication uh, when two folks are talking to each other who uh, serve together where there's really no filter and there's no offense. Mm-hmm. There can be no offense. It sounds like there's a lot of shortcuts too. Yeah, there's and- a lot of shortcuts, but like Curtis may say like, you know, hey, will you grab me my bag? But really what he's going to say is like, shit, Bert, grab me my sack. And then I know, and I might say, like, hey, lazy ass, why don't you get off your fat ass and go get your own sack? And there's no hate there. Mm-hmm. That's just the lingo. Yeah. That's just how we talk to it's each other. Like, oh, you guys are being very rude to yeah, each other. Yeah, there's right none now. of that. There's yeah. no room for any of that. So, And they nailed it. And a lot of the times, it's very, very funny. There's a lot of inside jokes. You spend so much time together that the, your your inside jokes just kind of develop and do, like, a little mini culture. And they nailed it in this book. It was really, really believable. Yeah, I will say my favorite part of this book, because you don't really know what the story is yet. I mean, you know that there is uh, some resistance 
from from maybe a species that lives on this that has lived on Mars. You don't know. Uh, and between these private military guys, there's a war going on. How does they? How does everybody fit into this war? We don't know. Um, but the thing that sold this book for me was dialogue uh, and the hook at the end. Um, these dudes trapped in a battle and um, an alien who may be a human. Uh, did you mention that there are Martians? I might not have. So uh, the body that they find in the garbage truck is an alien body. And then there's a huge explosion. And in the fog of war, the chaos of war, uh, people get hurt. Explosions happen. And there's an awesome revelation at the end. I, I just want to see what happens to these dudes. I don't even know what the larger story is going to be. And I don't know if I care at this point. Yeah. I just really connected with these characters right out of the gate. Because the locals are, you know, these aliens are, they are the occupied population. They are the people that are like dealing with, and they are possibly responsible for this, you know, horrible explosion that happens at the beginning. So they're sentient. They know that there are aliens. This is something that they've had to deal with typically. This is probably why they have a military force there to begin with, because there's this hostile relationship with these Martians. Potentially, yeah. Potentially. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, really cool. Tons of cool character building. I feel like I know a lot about three or four of the people in this book out of one issue, which I, is tough to pull off in a first issue, especially when there's this much action and explosions and there's a pretty funny scene with a dude with a gun out with his pants around his ankles that was really awesome. I really enjoyed this a lot and I it, it came out of nowhere for me. I felt, I, yeah, that uh, it felt real to me. Like that dude taking a shit in the middle of a battlefield. Like if you got to go Duke in the middle of a war, mm. might be weird. You might have to like- Might be stressful. You know, it might be stressful, might be hard to pull off. <laughs> it was pretty awesome watching that dude run around with his pants around his ankles, so. They definitely got the unit camaraderie and that's what made it really enjoyable for me. Yeah. Was it seems like these guys had spent a lot of time with each other and, and they, their interactions were so believable, even though they're in this kind of absurd environment. Right. Um, it was just an absolute blast. Yes, yeah, the, the superintendent is the name of the dude that we're like really following around. His name's Coyle, last name Coyle. And his gut problems, like his tummy hurting, is yeah. as important as anything else happening in this book. And I remember that as much as I remember like the world building stuff. It was really sharp and really funny, and I I liked it a lot. Yeah, the more I think about it, yeah, it was weird how much they were able to get done with that lead character without doing a lot. Mm-hmm. It's that weird line of of art and just the right di- dialogue and the right interactions, like building a character effortlessly. Yeah. So very cool book. That was Red Line number one, Oni Press. Uh, give it a look. Uh, Neil Holman, uh, dude can write a comic. Brilliant. Uh, Marcus, what book about teenagers did you select this week? Well, you're not wrong. I selected Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. What? Huh? Be... Hold on. A... Wait. What? You heard me. I selected Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys from Dynamite Comics. Now, before you get on your judgy train, and you, you're you already on it, I can tell. Mm, I mean, I got a first class ticket, business class <laughs> ticket on that judgy train. Why I decided to pick this book is, I thought I was gonna go into it, and I, I read a lot of these uh, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Boxcar Kids. What? As did I, Marcus. Those were a lot of my, my growing up literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Encyclopedia Brown. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. I thought you were gonna say you liked Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I didn't read fiction, I read Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, but this book was pretty different than what I was expecting. I thought they were just going to kind of rehash a, a Hardy Boys story. The big thing would be that the Hardy Boys are together with Nancy Drew. But what's happening here is- Which also would have been your pick. We don't know that. Had they done that, we don't. Too. There were a lot of good books this week. We don't know that. Okay. Don't. Don't. We don't, don't. know. We, you're right. We don't know. Don't. Uh, 
Um, but what's happened is the Hardy Boys' dad, uh, Detective Harvey, um, was framed. Harvey Hardy? No, Detective Hardy. Isn't that what I said? Oh, sorry. I thought it was. Yeah. First, I thought it was first name Harvey, last name Hardy. That's Excuse a real my mistake. Harvey Hardy. Harvey Hardy. My mistake. No, Detective Hardy um, was uh, a de- obviously a detective, uh, and he gets framed for being a crooked cop. It's the worst thing that can happen to a cop because you have no honor, mm-hmm. right? You've betrayed the badge. And the current detective, the current police force, believe that the Hardy Boys are the killers. So the first half of this book, first three quarters of this book, is them being interrogated in separate rooms by different detectives. But what's cool is the play between the two, because the the Hardy Boys um, have been detectives their whole lives. And they've been the love of this small town. Yeah. Everybody loves the Hardy family. Who doesn't love the Hardy Boys? They, They love the dad. So when he gets framed, he's disgraced. It brings the whole family down. The they make great up, roast beef sandwiches. The dad Wonderful ends up roast beef. Killing himself because he or or you know he dies. Uh, they believe it's because he he just can't take the dishonor that he's put on his family. And so it, what was beautiful about it is like the the play between the Hardy Boys and the detectives was really interesting because the detectives would try these different tactics. And the Hardy Boys would just be like, look, man, like that that stuff doesn't work anymore. That's like some 1990s detective work. Like, if you really want to get something out of me, you got to do this. Um, but as we go through, we find out that the Hardy Boys, of course, are already on the case. And at the end, they meet up with with. This Nan. is just a part of their case. This is Getting just interrogated part of it, yeah. was part of their they're trying plan. To get, they're trying to get info, and they meet up with uh, Nancy Drew at the end. It's pretty dark. It's very dark, very for, dark. For, a, for a Hardy mm-hmm. Boys comic. Um but it was great. Uh, Anthony Delcole is the one who's writing it. He does a good job ma- making the two boys seem different. Uh, they have something that's kind of uh, riffing between the two of them, and we don't know what yet. Um, but well, I, maybe one of the brothers like doesn't really believe the dad's innocent. Right. Yeah, like and, ma- maybe dad was a crooked cop. Yeah. Right. And other brother, other Hardy boy, is not does not truck with no, that. not right. trying to have it. I was really surprised how how much depth it had. It was it was fun, but it was dark. It, you know, it wasn't Afterlife with Archie dark, but. It, it really surprised me how well written it was. The illustrations are beautiful. And it was just taking something that I knew growing up and evolving it into kind of the next chapter. Uh, and it seemed like it was kind of written for someone my age. So I got to say, I, who who wrote and drew this book? So Anthony Del Cole uh, is the writer, who I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then Werther Del Irderda is the artist. Who's the artist? Werther Del Idira. Werther is his first name. Yeah, first name. I, I love that candy yes. and I love that name. It's a heat heater. Now, I, the art was fantastic, I thought, throughout Loved this it. entire book. Um, it's got great colors. You know, it's got uh, kind of uh, bright, weird colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I, I completely nailed it. I don't know shit about the Hardy Boys or about Nancy Drew. Right. I have no frame of reference. And I felt a little bit like I was supposed to know about a dynamic that I don't that I don't know about, and I, I was that struggled. I don't know if I was missing something because I didn't know if, enough about the characters, or if they just weren't giving it to me. No, I I think they you know they established that these guys were kid detectives, and they they've done their thing for years, and now um, their dad's fallen on hard times. The whole town's turned on them, and um, for some reason the cops who are interrogating them, those those dudes are dicks. They know the dad didn't do it, right. and they know the Hardy Boys didn't do it. So there's some sort of Shistiness going on at the old police precinct in this in this town of what? Oh, Bayport. There we go. Probably dad was a clean cop and he knew about them being crooked ass. I'm just guessing. I don't know, but probably that's probably, probably something like that. But it was. I thought it was a great twist and a great evolution of the characters. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It really surprised me. 
This could have easily been my big, big pick, Marcus. I'm backing you up. Thanks, man. This is a great comic. I was right on the... Uh, There's a bunch of good ones this week. But the cover is this dude... Um, uh, oh, shit. Why am I blanking on his name? He's the guy who does the art for uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Robert Hack. Ooh. So that's that guy. What a great, great cover. It's the Hardy Boys with a silhouette of Nancy Drew and a bloody police badge and a cop car. Very cool cover. It was great. I, I highly recommend it. I think, uh, I think it threaded the line just right. Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Big Lie. Thank you for your big pick. Thank you. No, thank you. Seriously? Thank you guys both for being Aww. friends. Traveling down the road and back again. And back again. Nick, um, what pretentious independent created uh, book have you picked for us this week? Oh, Wait, let me see here. You picked it's I, something from Drawn and Quarterly. You guys already made this goof. Something recently. from Ad House. Oh, Ad House, right. Ooh, how about... Is it a prose book that describes the evolution of female comic characters throughout the years? Yeah, that sounds really shitty, doesn't it? No, it doesn't yeah, sound no, shitty sounds, at all. It does, it's that sounds great. just horrible. It's... What'd you pick? I'm going to tell you what I picked. I, d- I didn't pick <laughs> something that... Uh, that just made that solely made my tummy feel warm and reminded me of what it was like oh, when I was boy. a teenager when Whoa. everything was simpler mm-hmm. and everything was so much more fun. I picked. I I didn't just pick a book based on that. Yeah. So you're gonna hate it. It's getting ugly in here. Which pick? Go <laughs> Grass Kings. Oh, I love this book. Oh, Ask Kings. I think we all enjoyed this book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is from Boom Studios. This is a new book from Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins. This is the story of a piece of land on a lake, and it's a it's, it seems like a troubled piece of land. It's yeah. gone through a lot of different uh, people that have owned it and controlled it. Oh, and they and they actually start us out hundreds of years ago, uh, 1200 AD. They start out with the first like the the first folks that have that had kind of inhabited it, and we move through time to the present day where we have kind of like a. Uh, what would you call them? Separatist uh, collective, yeah, yeah. off the grid. They're living community. off the grid, yeah. And it's the Grass Kingdom, is what they're calling it. And it seems to be controlled by these three brothers. And it's a little bit shady. What what might be what, what might be going on there? They they don't allow anybody else into the Grass Kingdom. The whole book we we learn about this place. We learn about these brothers because. This teenager has wandered into the Grass Kingdom, and they are kicking him the hell out. Um, one of the brothers is the purported sheriff of the town, and he scoops this kid up and then drives him out of the city. And on their way out, we kind of learn about what kind of place this is and what's been going on. Um, and it was pretty interesting. I got to say, mostly, I my the reason I loved this was for Tyler Jenkins' art. Art's very, very nice. I think the... The writing was interesting. Matt Kent is a long burn kind of dude. Right. He's he's setting us up here. He's setting us yep. up, and it mm-hmm. always pays off. Yep. Matt Kent will has never disappointed. Like given him enough issues, I was not like completely engrossed in everything. Like I just so another a, a good counter example to this is the most recent Brian Woods book, Briggsland. I thought the same thing, and that grabbed me immediately. I was mm-hmm. like, I am in. I want to know all about these people. I am. I want to know about their their weird religion struggle. And I did not get that from this right away. I know that at some point we're probably going to get there because Matt Kent knows what he's doing. But what did make me not be, I couldn't put this book down for Tyler Jenkins' art. And I don't really, it's kind of got a watercolor Definitely. look to it. Yep. Um, the f- everybody's got such a good face. You can just, even though it's very sparse and really like 
um, abstract, maybe? kind of almost abstract in some ways, and just very, very simple. You know who they are by these really sharp kind of character features. I think it's really interesting because I, I, I too drew a lot of parallels between Briggsland, a book that mm-hmm. I'm actively reading and just got picked up to be a TV show. Um, but what I thought was really great about it is it showed that we have we have two themes that are very, very similar. Uh, but Matt Kent uh, and Brian Wood are just drastically different writers. And I found both books to be incredibly enjoyable, even though they, they shared a lot of similarities. And that was really enjoyable. I, I, I like that we have this diversity of, of writership in, in the industry where we can have similar stories, but just totally different paces, totally different characters. Yeah, the yes. approach the is approach very is different. different mm-hmm, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You could, if you were to pitch both of them, mm-hmm. they would sound almost identical. And the and there's something about this is that's like much more kind of mythical, and like it's it it feels bigger than Briggs Land because it's called a kingdom, and one of the dudes is the Grass King. He's also an alcoholic who doesn't completely have his act together, and they speak about these three brothers kind of in hushed tones a little bit. Like there's a lot of reverence for them. There's a sniper up in a tower just who knows everything that's going on in this whole city. So there's kind of like this larger than life thing going on that Briggsland didn't have. So it distinguishes itself in that way. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think the first eight pages for me were the history of this plot of land. Yes. Just added a weight to the whole rest of the comic that I, I just thought was a really interesting way to open a book. We open up on the indigenous folks of this area, and we we witness maybe the first time that it was violently taken over, and we get the sense that this is something that's happened many, many times for this particular plot of land, this thing that ends up being the Grass Kingdom. I really liked it, and um, it's, it's worth the, the price of entry for Tyler Jenkins alone, and Matt Kent is uh, a master of making comics, so... And I agree with you on your assessment. I think the last page puts its hooks in a little bit, mm-hmm. but I will agree. This is, Matt Kinn is definitely long game. Yeah. So read this comic, enjoy it, drink it in, and be ready to read a couple issues before it really puts he's, the claws in probably. He's one of those dudes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, mind management, for my money, is one of the best comics of the past five years. It's just, it, is a, it is a fucking masterpiece. And it didn't reveal itself to be that for 20 issues. It it literally it took that long to see all of the things that he was doing and weaving in and out of this book about psychics and a psychic kind of uh, what would you call it? like a psychic paramilitary spy, yeah. spy agency. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend um, mind management, and I recommend Grass Kings. That's my big pick this week from Boom Studios. Excellent choice. Thank you. Thank. It's fun to poke fun, but thank you. It's a great great book. Um, our picks this week in total were Redline from Oni Press, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Big Lie from Dynamite, and Grass Kings, number one from Boom Studios. Hey, no. we all picked a bunch of uh, bunch small, smaller, press. small press books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What an interesting coincidence because that leads us right into our listener question for the week. What? You can send us listener questions. Please do. I, I already mentioned it earlier, but you, you can, it's still the same email address from what I mentioned earlier. It's superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Hey, have you guys received any more gifts, by the way, that I that you haven't told me about? Or... I haven't. Have you, Marcus? Well, I've been, Somebody I've been... bought us a beer the other night. That was cool. And I've been, oh, I've cool. been going back there. Oh, you've been milking it. You've been milking I haven't your, been milking your, it. Your, I wouldn't say I'm milking status. it. Yeah. I, I mean, just, after I, this discussion right now, I bet there's going to be no more beers for you. I know. It's, wait, we get shut up, Curtis. I'm sorry. You're going to ruin it. I know, but I have not received any any boons. 
Well, that's fine. I was just checking. I feel I mean, like Marcus, you somebody gave you something recently, though. That smile. Look at his look at his devilish little smile. You little shit. He's been getting cookies on the side You've or something. You've been getting cookies on the side? I'm look likeable. At me, look at my eyes. I'm likable. I can't help it. I'm likable. He's not that likable. This is the thing that most people don't realize. Brian asks, in relation to what our, our picks, this is the perfect question for this week. Couldn't be more perfect. And we didn't plan it this way. But Brian asks, can you give me some info on the non-Big 3 publishers for new readers? You've talked about Fanagraphics on the podcast, and recently we've been talking about Fanagraphics a lot. Mm -hmm. But what about Dark Horse, Oni, Boom, and Dynamite? Is Top Shelf still around? Are there others that people should know? There, there's so many. You know, we can just go down the list here if you guys want. I mean, Dark Horse, I mean, what are they doing right now that just you by, have to read? And before we get too far, from the big three, we're talking about Marvel, right. DC, and Image. And those are, even though Marvel and DC are taking up almost half of the, almost the entire comics industry between the two of them. Right. Uh, yeah, Image, that's 65, 70% of the market right there. And then mm -hmm. Image takes up consistently around 10% Correct. of the market. And then everything else is split up to these, you know, you know, dozens of other publishers. So who, who we we know about Dark Horse. We know about we just talked. We just spent a half an hour talking about Oni Boom and Dynamite. Oh, that's right, we did. And they're pretty consistently in our our picks. Yep. I think those three publishers. Um, who's a publisher that you think does not get the attention that they deserve? Aftershock. Aftershock has got some neat books. You're they right, Marcus. They got some neat books. They're mm -hmm. a new comic company, probably only a year old. Would you say? At this point, uh, they might be two, three years at this yeah. point. But they're, uh, they're one of the newer ones. But they have a really interesting model that I like. They hire grade A comic talent and uh, just kind of let them do their thing. So what I like about Aftershock is they've had a couple Red Tails being the one that stuck out in my head the most. They've had a couple really good war comics, which is a genre of comic I really enjoy. It, but they do it in a really approachable, not kind of scary way. A well, lot of the times when war comics get done, they get done old school. And so they, they don't always transfer over to new readership. What do you mean old school? Slow, very slow, uh, kind of tropey at times. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Cliched. Cliched, yeah, absolutely. So they hired uh, Garth Ennis to Garth do Ennis their, to their do, war comics. So, yeah. You know, that's how you know they're a good publisher. Like, we're going to do a war comic. We're going to hire the best dude in the business. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the new John Lehman book, uh, who just wrapped up his, you know, 60-issue run on Chew over at Image Comics, mm -hmm. his next book is an Aftershock comic. It's got art oh. by Sam Keith. It's oh, that's right. Eleanor and Egret, and uh, looks fucking incredible. It's the first time we've seen Sam Keith on a monthly book in probably uh, 10 years. Sam Keith, the creator of The Max. The Max. Who you might remember. Uh, there was a cartoon for like the six issues, six episodes of the first six issues of the comic book, The Max. I love The Max. It's tremendous, tremendous. So yeah, great point. Aftershock is yeah. killing it. And they got other stuff. Shipwreck from Warren Ellis and Phil Hester. A yep. bunch of good books. Yep. So mm -hmm. we certainly mm -hmm. got to throw Black Mask into the mix. We most certainly do. Although they have not been wowing me as much recently. Agreed. That's true. Um, but a couple of my favorite books from the past year or so, uh, you know. 2016, two of the best books out were Black Space Mask. Space Riders mm -hmm. and obviously. Well, it's four kids walking to a bank. Four kids walking to a bank. But what was the other one? We Can Never Go Home. We Can Never Go Home. Thank you so much. Yeah, those dudes. Uh, those are three of the best books of the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I'll agree with Nick. I think a few of their recent efforts have left me not, not you know, they're not horrible books, but stuff hasn't really 
smack me around, but their new Space Rider series starts in two weeks. Yeah. So that's something huge to look forward to. And those to. dudes, I only bring that bring it up that way because the, it, it seemed for a minute, everything out of the gate from those dudes, it's like, oh my God, are right. these guys ever going to stop? Mm-hmm. Everything is on fire. Everything is my new favorite book. And then they released a bunch more titles, and this is what happens. They can't all be, you know, Space Riders. Yeah, which was stupid good. Yeah. That might, I mean, that's in content. That was in contention for me for best thing I read last year, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Give me one more. Give me one more publisher that, may, peop, that folks should I'm know. Gonna th- I'm going to throw a little wild card. Okay. I think Viz, like, read some, there's some. People know about Viz? You think? I, I just, I think there's a lot of American style comic readers who don't consider the wide world of manga. And that's I a, see what you're saying. And that's a huge bummer. Yeah. It's as, you know, you look at, you you look at Marvel and DC and they they have a style and manga can be pretty different from that, mm-hmm. um, but gosh darn it like there there's a lot of really great new manga and then there's some companies that are reaching back and buying manga titles mm-hmm. that went out of print in the 90s early 2000s and bringing those back into print and those are wonderful and are and are essentially new to a brand new generation of manga readership. So I there are a lot of really great small comic things, but I, I just it always. I always feel like people don't are sleep little, on it. Don't, don't sleep on manga. Don't, don't sleep, sleep on, on manga. Yeah. There you go. It's oh, a lot more comics. Right. That just doubles your comic possibilities right there. For real. And it will open your mind to just a whole different type of storytelling. And that is awesome and should be done. True that. Boing. So I hope that helps. To and to answer your other question, Brian, Top Shelf absolutely is still around. Actually, they just. Um, they just wrapped up March, which is a National Book Award winner, and it's Nate Powell and John Lewis. Um, it's an amazing book, uh, an amazing trilogy. It's won awards too numerous to mention. Um, and that's in addition to they've got a new book coming out really soon called Home Time that we're all really, really excited about. Yeah, I don't know anything about this artist, writer, Campbell White, but Home Time looks like a graphic novel that I will be scooping up no problem when it comes out. Yes. In April, I think. So I hope that helps. Um, there's just so many, just so many good publishers out there. And all that being said, you know, the big three still putting out good stuff also that is what you would not normally associate with maybe the biggest publishers in comics. They yeah. are constantly surprising. You know, not to loop this back to like buying comics or pre-ordering comics and stuff like that, Ugh. but let's do it because we talked about it a little bit last week. Mm-hmm. You know, wrap with your comic book uh, gurus at your local comic shop and, and pick their brains because these are the kind of books that will not get ordered. Um, they will get ordered by uh, folks who work at comic shops if you express interest and let them know and pre-order these things. But historically, these books get ordered in really small quantities. That's why, you know, 150 publishers make up, you know, that last bottom 18, 20% of all comics sold. Or 10%. Yeah, so it's um, It is. And, you know, so if there's... An immense amount of killer shit out there, mm-hmm. but uh, we all, you know, working together can make it happen. And, so. and we call it the big three, but you know, it, Image is nowhere in near the league of Marvel or it's DC. It's the big two, and it's then... the big two, and then Image is doing a great job, mm-hmm. and and everybody else is completely pulling up the rear. And so Image needs a lot of help, also. Um, let's not make the mistake of thinking of Image as one of the big boys. That Those books need a lot more support. Well, and then your your next tier down, your IDWs and your Dark Horse are, are barely pulling 5%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's a, a very good month. Uh-huh. Like they might get near 5%. It's a dog-eat comic world yeah, out there. Dogs just eat all those comics. They do. They're hungry. Hungry, yeah. hungry dogs. 
But Brian, thank you for the question, man. We really appreciate it. Um, I got another question for you guys, though. Yeah. This time it's from Ray, and this is a question for you two dudes. Hello, oh, Ray. Real. Ray asks, "Would you dudes care to wax poetic about the epic exploits of some of your most beloved personal D and D characters? What are some of your best campaigns or memories?" I remember Marcus mentioning, says Ray, asks Ray, that he had played one of his characters since high school. I would dig hearing about some of his dungeon clearing days. And you know what, Ray? I would also like to hear about that. Oh, man, there's so many. Dungeons and Dragons, I, I, I've talked about it before, is like one of the most fundamental things into shaping me into the person that I am today. Can I ask a very broad yeah, question? Sure. For both of you, mm. what is it about... What is the appeal of D&D? What was the appeal of when you were kids? What was it doing for you? For me, like, I was, uh, I'm not going to cry during this segment. It's Don't cry, Marcus. It's happen. all right if you do. Uh, I was a super sick kid growing up. I had really bad asthma. I was pretty overweight. I didn't get to do a lot of sports and stuff. Uh, like, growing up, I had to be hooked up to a nebulizer two times a day so that I could breathe. Uh, so there was a literal aspect of, you because you could be anything in a D&D campaign. The, the beautiful thing about D&D is... You can be the version of yourself that you want to be, and there's like no limitation to that. Um, Did you use that? Did you like try to express with that character? Were you like directly acting against the the reality? Of, for sure, of you yeah. Being a kid? Like you know, growing up, I was always like uh, I, my big classes like uh, barbarians, paladins. You know, the the dudes who had no physical limitations. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, those were those were the two classes I played the most for sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, or, you know, like I, to be honest, like I didn't do particularly well in school until I got to college. I, you know, I almost failed eighth grade, but when you get to play a wizard and you get to play the bookworm, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, you are the smart one. You are the one who can, has the book for any, any situation, you know, the things. Right. And that is really satisfying in its own rights. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was a, a pretty friendless kid growing up. Uh, until I met my D and D group. How'd you meet your D and D group? One of the one of my few friends who I grew up like a couple houses down. Um, my buddy Josh uh, knew some other dudes who were a couple grades higher than me, and I was interested in D and D. And him and I were kind of playing these like kind of half games, you know, just storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, "Oh, I found some other dudes." Uh, and we kind of got to know each other and now I've been in all those dudes weddings and they're my closest friends. And, but I like, I had like three friends until then. And then I met these dudes and we started going on these adventures together. And you feel like if you play D and D long enough with the same group of people, you feel like you are going on these adventures with these people. You have stories to tell one another and yeah, you're sitting in a basement uh, but you're still creating a, a society. You're still creating friendship. And, uh, yeah, it's just the best thing that's ever happened to me, Dungeons & Dragons. And now I LARP. You know, I've, I've grown. I've played d and I'm still super close with those dudes. Uh, and, you know, I was going through a rough patch a couple years ago. And I said, I need to do something. I need to change something up. I'm, I'm miserable. I just got out of a relationship. Mm -hmm. and I was like, I've always kind of wanted to LARP, but it's pretty nerdy. 
But fuck it. Like, I got nothing to lose right now. I'm a single dude who works in a comic shop. Like, no one's going to judge me. When you say LARP, you mean live action, action role, role play. play. Okay. Yeah, and I went I out. Bring the comic shop into it. But, well, <laughs> then I went out, you know, I went out and LARPed. And now, you know, I, I have a whole new batch of friends of people who are exactly like me. But even with LARP, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You get to be the person that you don't get to be in your everyday life. Uh, it's it's just Dungeons & Dragons is absolutely, like, if, if I've... I, I remember my dad taking me to buy, buy my first player's handbook, Rider's Hobby Shop, over in Ypsilanti, and uh, I just devoured it. Like, I just I just consumed it yeah. in a way that I had never consumed anything before. Uh, and it, it if he would have decided that I should do something else, because he pushed me to play D&D. Your dad did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your dad, who's a... Who, who's a He's a tough dude. He's a mil- ex-military. Like he's a pretty straight laced dude. A, he's a vet. Yeah, he's a, he's he's tough, but he's also. I think that's really. I think that's a incredibly badass. Yeah, I mean he he's, yeah he it doesn't seem like something that he would normally do, but my dad is also, to his credit, the most amazing storyteller I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Did he play D anD? d He did not. No, but I just we would share stories. We would drive up and down to our cottage and kind of make stories together. And eventually he was like, well, you should totally play Dungeons & Dragons. And he went and got me a D&D book. Having never played it, just nope. like kind of knowing about it. That's right. so fucking cool, man. And uh, I could just go on and on for it. My, if he would have not made that choice, I, I may have found D&D like in college or something mm-hmm. later on, but I would not have the friends I have today. I would not have the connections with those people who I literally consider brothers. Like it would just be a totally, totally different world. I read a thing really recently about like the best way to to grow close to people quickly is to put yourself is to do weird stuff with them and to put yourself in like stressful situations with them. And I like you go on a whatever a whitewater rafting trip, right? Or you just if you if you happen to find yourself in situations that like really test you and test your resolve like physically and emotionally, then you just grow closer to those people. And I never thought about it, but. D and D, you're approximating that, yeah. and if you're a kid, that stuff's very real. Like that, those situations are very stressful and very real. So it's a shortcut to growing very, very close with people very, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I never put that together. Now Curtis has told me a D and D story about him that just makes my heart sing. Oh, what's is this? that? You and Liz for a while were living in a in a new place. Oh yeah, and that you and Liz just one on one, you and your wife. Would just play D and D together. Yeah, just the two of you. Just the two of you. Well, so well, I'm going to back it up just a little bit. Yeah. So my first D and D experience was also Writer's Hobby Shop, but it was the downtown Ann Arbor one. I lived on Spring Street, so that's a neighborhood in Ann Arbor, like you know, five or six blocks from this hobby shop. Mm-hmm. And the guys that worked at this hobby shop were the best. They had all these sections, and there was this dude. There was two guys who worked in the RPG game section. There was a guy named Dean and a dude named Clell, mm-hmm. and they worked well, there. Clell. Clell. Okay. I don't know how you spell it, but pronounce Clell. All right. And uh, these two dudes worked there for the entire time that was a store. So, I mean, decades. They knew everything about games. And they had a, a club that you could join. And it was called the Ann Arbor Science Fiction and Fantasy Weregamers Club of Ann Arbor. Weregamers, like werewolves. Like, yes. But like, weregamers. Like anthropes. Yeah. Um, and they met in this cool old room in the Michigan Union called the Wolverine Room. And it was like stone walls and like kick-ass lamps on the wall and like stained glass. And like a banquet table, a wooden banquet table with these wooden chairs. You know, like this table is 100 years old. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, right? So the vibe of the place was just like, holy shit, I'd never seen anything like it. Super poor kid. This was like... This room we met in was like next level, and I learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons and everything else in there. 
Um, and so for years and years after that, I would spend every penny that I had on Dungeons and Dragons shit. My backpack was all Dungeons and Dragons for three years. It was yeah. every single hardcover. At one point, I owned. How old were you? Thirteen, okay. fourteen. Uh, I probably started when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I had every module that was ever produced for Dungeons and Dragons up until you know, like the second release. You know, so it was just ridiculous. I was in love with it. All I did was make dungeons. I was always the dungeon master. Same. So always. I was constantly like making maps and burning the corners and soaking them in tea leaves and you know making props to give the players yes. and all this shit. And uh, I was just so fucking into it for years and years. And then I, I didn't play for many years. And then me and my wife moved to Florida. And we lived out in the middle of the sticks. And we lived in Ocala, Florida. And we lived like on, in a... And didn't know anybody out there. Didn't know anybody. I just worked like crazy at this job. We only hung out with each other. And so we would just play Dungeons and Dragons, me and her, like a two-player D&D game. And Liz was the dungeon master. Yes. It was so awesome. And I had a character named the Kraken from oh. the Highlander. And I forgot about this. Yeah. And uh, his my character sheet, I played him for like a couple of years. The character sheet was so big. It was like 20 pages. I had maps of the kingdom. And we built like whole towns using like the the rules for town building, like which really got into it. And um, I, I, years went by before I played this character and I played it in another campaign when we came back to Michigan and he died, the fucking character died. Mm-hmm. And I, I lit the character sheet on fire. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I, I saved it. I still have some of it left, but yeah. I was like so heartbroken that I'm just gonna burn it. <laughs> yes. And uh, But it, tore, it fucking tore me up. Yeah. Um, but no, it was great because I, we, me and Liz like moved to Florida on a whim, right? I got this job promotion, and we didn't know anybody. We lived in the boondocks. We're like city kids living out in the middle of the retirement community country time. And um, yeah, D&D was like, that was the shit. That, that's all we had, you know, really to, to rock out to. Yeah. And it was super cool, so. Man, you just, you found yourself the right lady, Curtis. I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, she was basically trapped. I, I tricked her into like, get, you know, I... <laughs> You know, we got pregnant. And I <laughs> tricked her to moving to another fucking state in the middle of the boondocks. So what are we gonna do? Well, fuck it. We'll guess we'll play D and D all the time. You know, saying, Curtis and I were working together yesterday. Yeah. I hope it's okay to tell this story, Curtis. Yeah, but we were we were sitting, we were going over some stuff, and uh, Liz comes in the back room, and Curtis just out of nowhere because this is this is my boy Curtis. He says, Liz, if you're ever out in the world and you see any silly hats, I just could you grab them for me? If you see any suits of armor hats or goggles or cowboy hats and Liz just like yeah you got it and just continued to go about her day she didn't say what the fuck are you talking about or no I'm not gonna do that or why would I do that you're a that? fool what are you talking she's about she's like yep you got it and I, I, th- I thought that then and I thought that today like man Curtis really really found a, a good partner I will say just to just give one, weird hats. one adventure story as the question asked and it'll be super I'll just be super quick about it but Right when we had started playing D&D, uh, I was a bad dungeon master because I had just started. And my buddy Brad's dad, who was like a longtime nerd, uh, used to work for Games Workshop, was like, why don't you guys come over one night and we'll do some snacks and we'll play. And it was like our first real oh, D&D game, yeah. like an experienced dungeon master. Right. And I played Trollic Norwood, which is the name of my LARP character. Keeping, Trollic Norwood. Keeping that name strong for a couple decades now. We went into this abandoned cathedral and I was an elven ranger. I remember it to this day. And we went into this cathedral and above on like these balconies were these skeletal archers. And we were just like, I don't think Brad's dad had had done the math right for how bad we were going to be at Dungeons and Dragons. And so we're just getting rocked. And I was like, wait, I have a grappling hook (laughs) and skeletons have rib cages. 
And I told him, I was like, can, I, can I throw this grappling hook and try to pull these skeletons down? And he looked at me, he was like, you can absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. And I rolled, and I rolled a crit 20, and I pulled this skeleton down. All my crew fucked it up. Dude. And then I went to the next one and threw it up and pulled him down and fucked it up. And it was just like, I... I've probably told that story 150 times. I've never heard that story. It, it's just the coolest. F- and and I was maybe 14 at the time. Like, I think my parents had to drive me to their house. Yeah. But yeah, we were just like, holy fuck, we broke this game. And right. we didn't break the game. That's, no, the, no, that's, that's exactly we, as yeah, intended. Yeah. We played D&D. We found the solution to the puzzle. And yeah. it was the fucking best. It's awesome that you brought that up. I, I, I just remember vividly my first real, this guy Dean wrote a, ran a paranoia campaign. Different game, but an RPG. And I remember that exact light bulb moment of like, oh, holy fuck, this is what these games can do. Yeah. This guy built an experience. He's controlling the flow. He's he's doling out information in the perfect way to keep the game engaging and just keeping everybody at each other's throats. Fucking incredible. And yeah. probably, it was not intent. You didn't have a grappling hook so that you could throw it at skeletons. Fuck no, I was a ranger. And he wasn't thinking about that. Nope. The, the DM wasn't thinking about that. That's just a thing that happened. And he's like, of course you can try to do that. Yeah. And that's what seems so amazing about yeah. it. I'm so, sure I had it because it was in the recommended starter gear. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah, exactly. Oh. We can talk, I should, yeah, I could talk about D&D for hours, but. Well, cool. I, I'm, I, I think that answers Ray's question, but I loved hearing about all that stuff. Play Dungeons & Dragons, everyone. If you've never done it before, there is someone who will teach you how to play Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. I've only played Dungeons & Dragons two times, and I had a great time both times. It's the best. Mm-hmm. I, want a story, I want a story like that someday. Um, thank you, Ray. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everybody that sends us questions. If you send us a question, there's a very good chance that we will answer it. Probably says like the third fucking time I've said this, but superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Send us your questions. Ah. For sure. I would, if we can, like to do a very, very brief board game slip into the board game corner for just one second. I said we have to. Can we? We did. I'm here. All right, that was a long journey over to the board game corner. I don't know why we keep that board game corner in a shack out in the middle of mid-19th century Arizona. It just makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, our board game review this week is for the the very, very, it's hot fire right now. If, if you're a big board game dork like we are, it's called Gloomhaven. Yes. Have you ever heard of it? I don't care. It's very, very popular, Okay. It's it's currently like the number one hotness on Board Game Geek, y'all. Yeah. So why don't you do you even check Board Game Geek, bro? Why don't you check it? So Gloomhaven is a Kickstarter success story. I almost said ostensibly, but it but is. You, and but it's, you did. Hey, that's a good use of the word ostensibly, though, because it's supposed to be, and for all intents and purposes, it raised a lot of money and it did really, really well. And this game came out, and it was one of the most allocated games on the planet. It's very, very hard to get. Things did not maybe go according to plan during the printing process. Um, we were very, very lucky to get any copies of this Kickstarter mm-hmm, game for mm-hmm. our store at all. And Curtis promptly swiped it. Look, there, there was one left that wasn't pre-ordered at one of the Vault of Midnight's. I'm not going to name which one. I let it sit on the shelf for a full 26 hours. That's uh, no way that's true. It was like nine, like from Mid- the time it was received till the time I left that same day. I had to take it. 
So Gloomhaven is a, um, in yet another perfect segue, it's a lot like a D&D campaign. It is. Very much. It's so, been described as like an entire RPG system in one box. And you take your, you build your party of dudes and you take them into an adventure and you can, uh, you have your you have your little scenario where you fight a bunch of stuff and you kill a bunch of stuff and you loot the rooms, you get all the treasure. You've done, this is not unlike your guys' Descent game that you guys have been talking about really recently. True. If you just take that aspect of it, right? Where you go in, you smash some dudes, you get the fuck out. You level up, you buy some new shit, yep. get some gear. Yep. Gloomhaven um, distinguishes itself in a few different ways, but one of them is that the, the combat is... I've never seen combat like this before. Nope. It's, it's all kind of card-based and the way that you manage these cards. If you want to do sweeter stuff, you lose the cards, and the cards represent your actions, and if you don't have any actions, it means you're too sleepy because you're exhausted from doing all this stuff. You did too much so you, sweet stuff. You can do all the sweet stuff on your cards, but over time you're going to become exhausted more quickly and you'll be knocked out of the scenario. So this card management aspect of it, and like you can, you, every time you take damage, you could instead just choose to, to lose cards. But again, once you're out of cards, you're out of the scenario. So that part of it, I thought was, what, did you guys, what do you guys think of that, the, how the combat kind of compares to other stuff like this you've played? It's really interesting because usually when you play these type of games, you can like, I can hit with my sword and every three turns I can do this thing. Yeah. And, th and that's kind of where you're at. The possibilities are, are, there's tons of them, just starting out as a level one character. Mm -hmm. And I like that. It, it makes you kind of critically think a little bit more about, do I need to save this card? Um, or should I just blow this one because I won't need it later on? Uh, it, it's a beautiful way to do a combat system and does lend itself to being a little bit more RPG because these characters feel more fleshed out as they have more options. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the, the thinking about initiative on the cards. Yeah, so um, uh, when you play your cards, there are definitely... Did, sorry, did you want to explain this? Oh, no, you got it. Go ahead. So when you play your cards, there are numbers associated with each of the cards that you play, and those numbers in the middle of the card determines who's going to go first, both in the party and in the monsters that you're fighting. So it was just an interesting combination of, of thinking about initiative, thinking about what your, your buddies are going to do, mm -hmm. and your party members, the monsters, and... Coupled with what abilities you want to use, right? So it's just this, the strategizing of planning your turn with your party uh, was very, very cool. Which leads to some really interesting choices because it's a cooperative game. We are a dungeon party, and we're we're off to whatever kill all these dudes together. But we also have our own personal quests and our own personal goals, and we all want to level up and get our own shit. And the game has mechanics to like make you a little bit selfish in ways that make the whole thing really interesting, like. There are moments where you're like, well, we're all doing this thing and we're all in this together, but I am going to kill that dude. I like, and I, I have to for I, these reasons. I have to do it because mm -hmm. I have a personal quest or whatever. Like, I just really want that shit. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make sure that I play a card that gets me a little bit higher in the initiative than probably is really necessary and probably even that might be optimal for what our party's doing right now. And that's really cool. Yeah, and we found out our group has a tolerance for that for one round. Like, we were playing with Kerrigan, uh, my <laughs> girlfriend, and she had to go. Her card was she has to be the first one through a door. Yeah. And there was one door in the whole dungeon. And she was like, "We, I got to get through this door. And we were all like, oh, okay. And we waited one round, and it, like, didn't work out. And we were like, if this doesn't work out, fuck you. But We're, going, it, we're like, we're going through the we're door. We're going to go through the door. Yeah, we're going to. That was really hard to do because you want to help your teammate, but you're burning cards. Yes. You don't, and you can't. It just doesn't make sense. You're not going to make it through the dungeon. So... That was a very hard choice to make. I mean, we kind of like lamented over like, shit, we want our teammate to right. to do this thing, but fuck it, we gotta can't. Gotta keep moving. Yeah, yeah. gotta keep moving. Um, 
but the thing for me that I find really interesting and that is appealing about the game is that as you do things, your party gains reputation or loses reputation. But more importantly, you affect Gloomhaven is a town. It is the town that you are dispatched from for your adventures. And what you do can depend on like what items are available at the store for you to buy, how the town regards you as as adventurers, what is available in this town. Like it was just the coolest thing to see that there's a city management side to the game and an RPG. So it is a proper legacy game. Like yeah. you are ripping up cards. Curtis had to rip up some cards. I ripped up my first cards in a board game ever, y'all. He was so, it was, I wish that you could have seen his face when Dog, he had to do it. My face, I, I, I could see my own face. I had an out-of-body experience and I was looking at my own face. Because Curtis is a collector of things. Yeah. I'm, I'm saving all the ripped he up wants cards in a Ziploc baggie. <laughs> But that's what the thing is like. You did yep. this thing. You've looked at this card. You can't have that card show up in the deck again. Nope. So this is what happens in legacy games: is you rip shit up and you write on the board and you put stickers on the board and you permanently ruin it. And the world is affected by the shit that you're doing. There's like these global events. And now another party can come in and play our Gloomhaven world, and they would be subject to the same stuff that's happening in this world as uh, as what we were dealing with and the stuff that we created. The legacy parts of it, so I think this game is 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 really really neat for the combat stuff, and I, I I think it's totally solid. But what makes it worth the price of admission is it's as interesting a legacy game as I've ever played. Agreed. It's, it's what I've been looking for with every single legacy game I've tried. The idea of a persistent RPG world that that exists outside of whatever characters you're running or whose group is playing mm-hmm. on the board is wild yes. and cool as shit. I've never seen that in a board game. Um, and I gotta tell you, uh, there was two or three moments personally and then uh, that I witnessed in this game of Gloomhaven that we played, this all day, eight hour session of Gloomhaven that was incredible. Yeah. And it felt like it was an hour and a half. It was so much fun. That was some of the most uh, gut-wrenching shit um, yeah. that I've had it in a board game. I mean, we were right on death's door in this second dungeon, and it was tooth and claw. And you know, we're our characters are one turn away from being exhausted. And we would spend every the farm we had on this one thing that's gonna do the thing. Yeah, and it just didn't fucking pan out. Yeah, and it pan and it, the way it doesn't pan out is in this kind of like way you can't predict that really affected me. I mean, I, I was this is an emotional roller coaster of a board I game. I thought y'all. Curtis was gonna flip the table. I was. I but was, we made it. We made it. We got through it. We did, it, and, it, and it was, was satisfying all the as hell. It was. Yeah. No, it felt like, and I haven't felt this in a board game in a really long time. It felt like a legitimate challenge all the way to the end. I didn't think we were gonna make it until the very last turn where we got it. Yep. It was awesome as shit, and we're dragging two exhausted teammates out of the dungeon. It was cool as fuck, y'all. I gotta say, yeah, I, I mean, we talk about these kinds of games a lot, and Lord knows, I mean, there's a lot of different games where you can go into a dungeon and equip your dude with some stuff and mm-hmm. smash stuff, and some of them are great, and I love some of them. Uh, this is absolutely the best iteration of that that I've ever played. And there's no dice. That's and Without any dice. Yeah, it's just the combat's so unique. So yeah, The way that they do randomness is really smart and like mitigated. Sad thing, the sad part of this story though is that if you want to try to get a copy of Gloomhaven right now, it's going to run you three to four hundred bucks. No, it's a crying goddamn shame. It's yeah. like I've you, seen, you have to get it on the aftermarket. You right? have to get on the aftermarket. I've seen this game go for up to six hundred dollars. You you are not going to get this game. The retail price is one twenty. Correct. You are not going to get it at retail price. It's sold out everywhere. It was a Kickstarter thing, and some retailers got it, and now you're lucky to find it on eBay for. What you're talking about? I hate to say it bucks. because, like, I know a lot of people really like Kickstarter, 
and it allows a lot of games to get to market that maybe wouldn't normally get there. But right now, with Gloomhaven, this is a game that I would love to sell to a ton of people because I'm passionate about it. Kind of fuck Kickstarter. Like, it it doesn't... It often does not provide a healthy game for the market large. Well, it's tricky. It, it is really tricky, yeah. The, this company's new, and it, it just doesn't feel like they knew about how to manage the the response. Right, but so you know? how, how that normally plays out in the board game industry is you have a great product, mm-hmm. like Gloomhaven, and you have it all hashed out, and you take it to a board game company that knows how to do this kind of stuff. But there's all that back end, right, where maybe control or rights or there's negotiations there that maybe don't benefit the creators. You know, there's, so there's back end stuff, I'm sure, to think it's about. Just t- I, so in a perfect world, this dude can do this on his own and reprint on his own and make enough money that he can reprint on his own and also make some money himself. Yep. It's just it's very difficult to do. I'm just right. A game like this is tailor made for Kickstarter because it's got a it's got miniatures, it's got a ton of contact, it's a big ass heavy box. It's like it's, fantasy. This is the kind of thing that breaks records on on Kickstarter, and those 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 same things are really hard to reprint. Those same things take a year to print. I like hear December is the, December nineteenth is, is the estimated. Restock for this game, right? And that's a shame. That's a shame because it's it's because it's hot right now, and it would it would be selling. But you know, I don't know. It's it's tricky. You how do you get if you take this game to a board game publisher, which is difficult at best. It's a twenty two pound uh, board game, by the way. Yeah. So you know the the board game publisher has going to do. Who knows what this game looks like if it's not this one guy's vision? Who knows what they insist changes on it? Maybe they don't want to sell a game for $120. It's probably a $200 game easy coming through. It's absolutely channel. a $200 mm-hmm. game if you if once you start going through distribution because mm-hmm. they need to make their end back on it. It's very very tricky. Um it's but, probably worth it for 200 bucks though. It's a lot of game in this box. It's I mean, it absolutely is a bargain. Yeah. At, at 120 bucks and that sounds ridiculous cuz yep. that's fucking too much money. Right. But you get a hundred scenarios with this game for 120 bucks. Seventeen hundred cards. You literally will be playing this game for a fucking hundreds of hours. Right. Yeah. The biggest thing with Kickstarter, and this is the the only other thing I want to say about Kickstarter is like this dude had to figure out how to print all this stuff himself because he didn't have the 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 benefit and the backing of you know of, of a publisher that sure. has these relationships and knows who to talk to and knows where the and you know I don't know what this guy's level of information is or where he's at in the industry um but the kind of the scuttlebutt is that like I we've seen this happen to other companies a successful kickstarter can put a company out of business yep. because there's so it's there's so much more to it than just people pre-ordering a game so it's very very interesting i wish that more people could play it because you can't play ours, because ours, we ripped up a bunch of cards and put a bunch of stickers on it and shit. We did, and Sharpie down the map and everything. Yeah. So, um, but that was Gloomhaven, and damn it, it was another dungeon crawler, but I agree, it really distinguishes itself. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait to play with you guys again. Yeah. We, we were trying to figure out a way to play this morning somehow. I can't tell if that was a joke or not, Nick. I, w- I wanted to. I, I was. <laughs> you guys saw a text from YouTube, I was like, wait a minute, we have a couple hours. We've got... Three hours, could we? Should, we? We could talk about the getting ready for the podcast, or we can just fucking play Gloomhaven again. Um, that is Gloomhaven, and this was Super Skull. I've been Nick Wybar. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Uh, please subscribe and download and give us those awesome reviews, please, at the Super Skull Show on iTunes. 
You can check us out on Twitter and our website, Super Skull Show. is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Tina Sandwich Sullivan. And we wish you good reading until next week. Tina Sandwich. Tina Sandwich. That was the name of his Gloomhaven character. Remember, I was Beth Salad. Oh! He was Tina Sandwich. Who are you? Curry shrimp? Shrimp paste. Shrimp, shrimp paste. paste. Yeah.